I understand it's awful lonely up here in the choir. If you'd like to come and join the choir, come, come right on up. Uh, there's no auditions, uh, but you're welcome to come up and, and would love to have you come up here. Um, if you're visiting with us, so good to see you. Glad that all of you are here today. How many of you this morning on the way to church were led uh, by green pastures? Doesn't it look beautiful? Doesn't our countryside just look gorgeous? I've had the chance to travel all sorts of places this week. And everywhere I look, there's beautiful green grass and bright colors of flowers and such. And just a reminder again that our Lord is so good. Now, he's not one-dimensional. He's not just all black or all white. He is multicolored. And he displays his glory through nature. Just like the psalmist says, that the heavens declare the glory of God. And, and that the firmament declares his handiwork. It's, it's just beautiful. Um, if you're visiting with us and you've never done so before and you'd like to let us know that you're visiting with us, there is a QR code in the, in the bulletin. If you know how to drive one of those, you can just operate that and scroll down to the bottom of the webpage that opens and there will be a spot for you to share uh, some information about yourself. If you're online, it's on the screen. You'll be able to do it there as well. We just want to know that you're visiting with us today. A few other announcements to make. Uh, we will uh, continue in the side-by-side -side study tonight, chapters 14 and 15. So if you're involved in that, just please read ahead. <clears throat> um, also, there's a couple of, of Easter and April schedules to make sure uh, that we let you know about. First of all, our Easter schedule is there in the bulletin. You see that. It's, it's no different than, than years past. Uh, Easter sunrise service at 730, 8 o'clock breakfast at the church, cooked by the deacons. 9 o'clock Easter egg hunt, and by the way, um, we do need some help getting that together, um, particularly in the way of having plastic eggs and candy to go in it. So as, as you're out shopping this week, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you're so inclined to pick up some, some of those empty plastic eggs and candy, and if you're really, really feeling spry, then put the candy in the eggs, and you will, man, we'll give you a, two stars by your name next Sunday. So we appreciate that. Uh, also, there'll be uh, normal Sunday school and worship at 11 a.m. Uh, there'll be no evening services on Easter Sunday. The schedule's not quite filled out here. You'll have to fill out lunch and food coma on your own. But that's what our Easter Sunday schedule is going to look like. Also, notice the April schedule. There's some things we had to revise in there uh, because of how Easter Sunday falls. And we also have a youth weekend. We have a youth weekend on the 14th through the 16th. And we've moved our business meeting to uh, the 16th because Easter Sunday is our second Sunday, normally when we have our business meeting. So it's moved to the 16th. We're also going to move our fifth Sunday lunch, which is normally on the fifth Sunday, to our, on uh, two weeks from today. Uh, we will have our April business meeting on the 16th, but we will uh, stick with our normal schedule of every fifth Sunday participating in the Lord's Supper together, and then we'll have a movie night in the Fellowship Hall. Um, I'm not aware of any other update, uh, announcement. Well, actually, just one thing. Um, there are some of these envelopes on the back table. Uh, most, if not all of you, probably got one of these in the mail. Uh, if you didn't get it, either it got lost in the mail or we don't have your address. But inside, there's a booklet. It's a 14-day devotional through the book of John uh, talking about the final days of Jesus uh, and, and the resurrection and after the resurrection. There's also a letter in here uh, that contains... Uh, 
um, the, the, the schedule for Easter Sunday. Uh, and if you received one, but you know of someone who you want to hand deliver one to, or you want to mail it to, and the stamp's already on there, just write the address on there, stick it in the mail. But those are in the back. We'd love to have you take some of those. And if you've got friends, uh, family, coworkers, uh, whoever, you want to invite them, you can do that. Uh, one final thing. Uh, there was a card I received, or the church received, in the mail this week. It says, Dear Pastor Shannon and church family, I just wanted to send a quick note and let you know how much I appreciate your prayers during this season. With so many unknowns, it has been a great comfort knowing that there are extra prayers being said on my behalf, and I am so thankful for that. Thank you, and God bless. Nancy Hermes, and that's, that's Joel's sister, uh, Pat, and uh, Bobby Ratliff's daughter. She's been um, dealing with some, some cancer, um, and... She is cancer-free, right? They're not sure quite yet? Okay. They're still trying to determine exactly what's going on with her, but, but she is just very thankful for what our church has done in way of prayer. Do you have any announcements you'd like to make? Anybody? There's lots of room in the choir. <laughs> All right. Sing loud, Connor. All right. Well, then let's stand and we'll, we'll... Oh, yes. Is there an announcement? Yes? VBS meeting right after church today. VBS right, meeting right after church today. It's right there in the bulletin. And I just skipped right over it. That's why I have to have assistance. That's why I get to park in that special spot up front of church. Uh, would you please stand and we... Yes. One other announcement. Good gosh. I'm so off. Okay. Okay. All right. If you'd like to help provide meals for the parish or family, um, then just get in touch with Sue. All right? All right. Let's go ahead and stand anyway. That way there's... Let's just make this as awkward as possible. All right. Who had something? The Parisher family. Deanna Parisher. Um, she had surgery this past week, um, and so they're just needing some meals. So, All right. I'm going to stand here awkwardly until someone else is. <laughs> I feel like I'm at an auction. <laughs> All right. On a way more serious note, uh, we have been, and I have to admit to you, I'm behind on, on, my, on my scripture memory. Um, but we are still in Psalm 96, and we're looking at verses 6 through 8 today. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are in, in your journey of trying to memorize, maybe you're just on number 2. And maybe you only get 10 of the ever how many there are. There's 52 weeks in a year, right? Um, ever how many there are, if you'll just commit those to memory, the Lord will use them in your life, I promise you. So let's say these together. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Let's worship together.
Psalm 57, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth.
Good morning. I have some boxes I want to show you this morning. Um, I've noticed that if when you have something really, really special, you usually put it in a really special box. And so I wanted to show you some special boxes this morning. This is a, a special box that has pearls inside of it. Ready? Um, let's see. And here's a special box from James Avery with a really beautiful gold necklace inside of it. So because it's such a special piece of jewelry, it came in a special box. Now this one is really special. This is a hand-carved wooden duck and the top comes off and there's some special art inside called Scrimshaw. It's etched into either bone or ivory. See that? And you know what I keep in this box? My daddy's Aggie ring. See it? He graduated from A&M in 1940 and the top is smoothed off. So this is a special, special possession of mine. And so I keep it in a special box. Did you know that God designed a box? He designed a beautiful box. And this is a picture of what it probably looked like. He um, gave exact instructions to Moses of how to build this box out of acacia wood from a special tree. And it was lined on the outside and the inside with gold. And the, the poles were made of, a, the, the poles to carry it were made of acacia wood and covered with gold. And it had angels on top. And um, he instructed Moses how he was to put it in a special tent called a tabernacle. It was like their church that they could move around from one place to another. And this special box was kept in the holiest place in that tabernacle and this is where God's presence was on top of this it's called the Ark of the Covenant it's a very very special box and so God created us in his image and so we're kind of the same way we like special boxes to keep special things in the special things in the Ark of the Covenant that God said were to be put inside of it were the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments. And those stone tablets showed us how holy God is because there were laws written on there that only a holy God could keep. We could not keep them. And there was, uh, it's called the Rod of Aaron, and I'll tell y'all about that on another Sunday, but it was a, a basically a branch of a tree um, that uh, had bloomed to show that God had chosen a certain 
um, clan or tribe among the chosen people, but a special choice of who was to take care of the tabernacle and the uh, services for God. Um, and then there was a golden pot of manna. The manna was the food that God fed the Israelites with when they fled from Egypt. So he designed a special box to hold these special things that uh, symbolized special things in our faith. Now, I just don't want you to know about the box uh, that God designed. Here's just a cardboard box, dirty and all beat up. I wouldn't put my pearls in here, would I? Or my gold necklace? No. Um, that Those things take a special box. So here's, here's the prayer that I want to leave with you. Whenever you see a box, I want your minds to immediately go to God and remember the special box that God designed. Whenever you hear a bird singing, your minds need to go to God and say, thank you, Lord, for that beautiful sound. Thank you for being a wonderful creator. Um, whatever you see or hear or taste or feel or smell, God gave us five senses to send information to our minds, okay? So anything that you see, smell, taste, hear, or touch, my prayer is that, the, that you would immediately use your mind to worship God. If you see lifesavers at the grocery store in the candy aisle, think, God, you are the only one who can save me. If you see cotton balls, you can think, God, you are an amazing creator. You're the one that created cotton plants. So everywhere you look, everything you see or smell or touch or taste or feel, let your mind be turned to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, um, that we can look at something as common as an old cardboard box and be reminded that you are an amazing God, an amazing planner, a designer, that you saw these um, Ten Commandments as holy and special, that you saw Aaron's rod and the pot of manna, and that we should put our minds on that and remember how awesome and holy you are. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for these children. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that uh, they would use the senses that you gave them and their minds to think about you and how wonderful you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Normally at this part of our service, we'd have a scripture reading.
But this, this morning, we're going to begin to sing a new hymn of the month. Hopefully, you got an email from CherokeeBaptist.Yahoo.com saying, this is our hymn of the month. And, and there's also an explanation as to where that hymn came from. This hymn is called, Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. And so, there's a question uh, on the screen. I want you to stand. This question comes from what's known as an Orthodox Catechism. And it was written by a man with a really cool name, Hercules Collins. And he took it from another catechism. And basically, he took a, a, like a Presbyterian catechism, a question and answer, and he made it um, Baptist. All right, more or less. And so the first question of this catechism is... What is your only comfort in life and in death? I want you to read the answer with me. That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. There's going to be music, so just follow along. And St. Barbara doesn't know how to play it, but we're just going to sing this together. So, so join in.
you would, please take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Betty, you'll have to advance the slide. Please, ma'am. You'll have to advance the slide on, on all the scripture, too, if you don't mind. Um, Matthew 21, I think, is on page 17 of uh, the Black Pew Bible, in case you didn't bring one. I want to reiterate this again. It's really important to have a Bible in your hands while I preach. How do you know if I'm not going way off on a beaten path unless you look at that and you compare what it says with what I say? And so it's important that you have a Bible in your hand. Furthermore, if, I, if what I preach is based on Scripture, then you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit is speaking. I mean, if I'm not speaking on the basis of Scripture, then the Holy Spirit's not speaking to us through, through the Word, which is how and he's, he's uh, speaking to us this morning. So it's so important for you to have a copy of God's Word in your hand, open, and your eyes on it. So I would ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> uh, Matthew chapter 21, and we're looking at verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> and this is God's Word. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey there, tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the, the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Would you pray with me? Father, it's that time of year when we, we think about this passage. Perhaps we skip over it just a little bit. We know that the, the good stuff, perhaps, in our mind is next week. Uh, when on Good Friday our Savior was nailed to a cross, crucified for sin, and then resurrected three days later. And Lord, we trust that is the good stuff, but we also know that whatever is written in Scripture is for our edification, for our encouragement, for our, um, for our personal growth. And so we ask God that on this Palm Sunday as we consider the triumphal entry, that you would stir our hearts with what we read here. And may it read us and guide us in how we receive the triumphant king. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> what I just read to you from Matthew 21 is what is commonly known as the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry is, I guess we'd have to say, the next to last big event in the life of Jesus, on his earthly life and ministry, prior to the cross and the resurrection. Now, Jesus had been on um, a long journey, I guess you could, you could say, um, all the way back to eternity past. 
journey began, if we can put it that way, in eternity past in the eternal counsel of God. Before the foundation of the world, the Father and the Son mutually agreed that the Father would send the Son into the world. And the Son agreed that He would be sent by the Father. And what happened in eternity continued into time when Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 tell us that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, under the law, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Christ Not only he was sent, but he willingly went. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance... uh, As a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the cross, to death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, they will say, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus' journey started in eternity past, and then the, the Father sent him, and the Son emptied himself by taking to himself human flesh. And he lived a human life. And during that human life, during that journey, Jesus faced opposition to his mission. Early on, Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert. In Matthew chapter 16, even Jesus' own apostles tried to deter him from the mission that God had given him. Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed And be raised up on the third day. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You see, Peter's opposition here to Jesus revealed another stumbling block that Jesus would encounter on the way to the cross. And that was an expectation held by the Jews, which we just, we have to dig a little deeper, but we see this expectation in the way the crowds receive Jesus. I want you to listen to an an excerpt from a book called The Final Days of Jesus. And it kind of summarizes how the events of the previous week leading up to Palm Sunday had fed Jewish expectations about Jesus as the Messiah who was to come, the promised one. And I quote, The year was 33 A.D. The excitement in the cool spring air of Jerusalem was palpable. Thousands of Jewish pilgrims had gathered from around the world for the upcoming Passover feast, and word had spread that Jesus 
a 30-something itinerant rabbi, prophet, and healer from Galilee, had raised Lazarus from the dead, had withdrawn from, uh, from Bethany, a village just a couple of miles east of Jerusalem, to a town called Ephraim in the wilderness, and was staying at Bethany during the weekend prior to Passover. Many had gone to Bethany to see Jesus and Lazarus, with the result that they believed in Jesus and returned to the capital city with reports of his miracle-working power to raise the dead. The Passover crowds in Jerusalem were like a powder keg, waiting for a spark, filled to the brim with both messianic fervor and hatred of Roman rule. Winds of revolution whipped through the air of Palestine throughout the first century, and Jesus, with his teaching authority and ability to capture the imagination of the masses, not least on account of his ability to heal and raise the dead, looked very much the part of the long-awaited Messiah. In order to gain and maintain power, the Romans could kill, which they did quite effectively, but how could they defeat a leader who could raise the dead at will? After observing the Sabbath at Bethany, Jesus arose on Sunday morning to enter the city of Jerusalem. And so now knowing this, we turn to our text this morning. Verse 1 says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Now I want to stop right there. Because I want you to consider what started in eternity past. And what, can, what began in, in earthly time at Jesus' birth and continued all the way through his, his, his earthly days. And he is now, I guess we'd have to say, at the goal line. What would he do here? Isaiah 50, verses 5 and 7 through 7 tell us, prior to Jesus' coming to Jerusalem, what he would do. It says, the Lord has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Listen to this. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I know I will not be ashamed. What that means is, is Jesus was not going to be deterred. He had set his face like flint to Jerusalem. And he wasn't going to fumble the ball at the goal line. There would be no hesitation on Jesus' part in the shadow of a Roman cross. Nothing was going to deter Jesus from accomplishing the mission for which the Father had sent him into the world. God had already declared what it was Jesus was going to do. God does this. He says about himself in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. He says, remember the former things long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And so Jesus is there at the goal line. And I think what we see 
in verses 1, 2, and 3 is either a display of his sovereignty where God had declared the end from the beginning. He had already declared that when Jesus sent the disciples to get the, the donkey and her colt, that it, was, it was already determined. It was already a part of God's plan that, that the donkey was going to come. The colt was going to come. But then I also see as you look in other of the, of the Gospels that... Because I believe here in Matthew, there's a tension placed on God's sovereignty. I believe that. As you look in the other Gospels, there is, I think, more of, a, of a, a maybe a, a view of Jesus making sure to take care of every last detail. In fact, I don't remember which one it is, but it says Jesus went and found the donkey. Now, I don't want you to think that, man, the Gospels, they portray things differently. They, they're aimed at different audiences They have a different way of talking about who Jesus is and framing him. So don't pit one against the other and think, man, this story's all jumbled up. There there are some things emphasized in some gospels that aren't in others because of what the gospel writer is trying to do. But I want us to see here in verses 1, 2, and 3, it's a display of sovereignty along with Christ Jesus making sure every last detail... Every I is dotted, every T is crossed. So he takes care of his details. But before, when he, when he sends the, the, the disciples to go and get the donkey and the colt, in this pivotal moment, Jesus is going to make sure that he sends a clear message about who he is and why he has come. So Matthew 21, 1 to 3 again, when they approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village opposite you and immediately, sovereignty, immediately, you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. This is rather odd. Jesus sends his disciples for a donkey and her colt. But that's not what the crowds were expecting. The crowds expected Jesus to make a grand entrance on a war horse, sending a message to Rome that the Messiah had come and that its reign was finished. But Jesus chose a donkey. Why? Verses 4 and 5 tell us. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt. The foal of a beast of burden. This is Old Testament prophecy. So why did Jesus choose a donkey? Well, first, in order to fulfill Scripture. There's nothing about Old Testament prophecy that pointed to Christ that he was going to leave undone. All prophecy that pointed to him or anything about him would would find its fulfillment in him. But that's not the only reason. Jesus also chose a donkey in order to send a message about how he was going to be the Messiah. He's not coming on a valiant steed, but on the colt of a donkey. He's coming not to put his enemies to death, but to be put to death for his enemies. He has not come to make war on Rome, but to make the way for peace between God and sinful man. Jesus had come as Lord. They call him that. 
He'd come as king, as prophet, as priest. Right after this, he goes to the temple. He had come as lamb of God and the atoning sacrifice. So he sends the disciples in verse, verses 6 and 7. The, the disciples obey him. It says the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them and he sat on the coats. So then Jesus rides into town on the colt of a donkey. It doesn't say it in this text, but in another of the Gospels it said, on which no one had ever ridden. This colt that our Savior sat on to ride into Jerusalem had never been put to secular use. Its first use was sacred. And mark this, I'm going to come back to this in a moment. Jesus wasn't going to ride into Jerusalem on something old, but on something new. And the reception Jesus receives, we find in verses 8 and 9, it says, Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, his actions here, make very clear who he is saying who he says he is. He is making loud and clear the declaration, I am the promised Messiah. I'm the one who was to come. You see, riding on the colt of a donkey, Jesus was reenacting. He was doing what King Solomon had done years earlier, as recorded in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 33 and 34. It says, and this is the king is talking about David. He says, the king said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there as king over Israel and blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. Jesus is is reenacting this, but he is the fulfillment of this. So Jesus is saying, no uncertain terms, I am he, I am the promised Messiah, I am the one who has come. And the crowd understood, or at least partially they did. Their actions showed that they believed he was the promised Messiah. The NIV Grace and Truth Study Bible says this, They, the crowd, received Jesus as their anticipated Davidic king from the line of David. That's why they they say in verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. So they receive him as their anticipated Davidic king, whom they believe will miraculously save them from the Roman oppression. Now listen to what it says about the cloaks and the palm branches. It says the cloaks that they took off and they laid in the road, they symbolized their submission to Jesus as king. And the palm branches symbolize Jewish nationalism and victory. All of their hopes and dreams were pinned on Jesus. And verse 10 and 11 says, When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? Who who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. I don't know if I've preached it very well, but, but do you feel the excitement here? I want to tell you what I think the crowd, by and large, is saying to Jesus. You've had this happen before if you're a parent. I know this. 
kid will come up to you and say, you know, so-and-so in my class is getting this for their birthday. You know, I've always wanted one of those. And if you will get that for me, you'll be the best dad ever. Sorry, son, I'm not the best dad ever. No, but how many of us have heard that before? I believe the crowd is saying to Jesus, if you'll do what we want, you'll be the best Messiah ever. But Jesus says in John 6, 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will. And I'm going to, I shouldn't add to scripture, but I think it's implied that nor anyone else's will. He says, no, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. So in this moment here, what is God's will? What is God doing in Christ? Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed Perhaps you think I'd just pull this out of thin air. If you go down in Matthew chapter 21 to verses 42 to 44, Jesus says, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This has become the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Isaiah 8 verses 14 and 15. Prophesying about Jesus. It says, then he shall become a sanctuary. But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them. They will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. God had sent his son, his king, to Zion to be the foundation stone. Just as what was promised in the Old Testament, that's exactly what's happening in Israel. The Messiah had come. God was laying his cornerstone in Zion. And it was going to be a stumbling block to many. Many people were going to stumble over Jesus, calling for his crucifixion just days later when he didn't turn out to be the best Messiah ever. The crowds ask the question, who is this? And the answer is, this is the promised Messiah, Jesus. That's what we're supposed to understand from the text. We're supposed to understand that this is God's cornerstone, the most important stone in the spiritual building that God was building. We're supposed to understand this is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what we're supposed to understand. Now listen here. I think every Sunday we answer the question, who is this? I want you to imagine being an Old Testament saint and hearing this. Now, let me frame this differently. I want you to imagine in your minds, I don't know where else you could imagine other than your mind, but I want you to imagine Christ Jesus is right outside the doors of our church and someone in the congregation begins to read Psalm 24 7 through 10 and they say lift up your head O gates and be lifted up O ancient doors that the king of glory may come in 
Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Again, in your mind, do you you see it? The, The doors come open, and He comes in. And who do you see coming? Do you see a mascot for your cause? Do do you see a life coach? Do you see a moral example to follow? Do you see one on whom you've pinned all your hopes and all your dreams? And if he'll just get on board with you, all those things will come through. He came for none of those reasons. I'm sorry to say, if any of those reasons, or, or, or if any of that in your mind, if it captures at all what you're thinking when Christ comes through that door, then he's going to disappoint you. You will stumble over him and you will call for his crucifixion when he doesn't turn, to, turn out to be the best Messiah ever. And then, having called for his crucifixion and watching him die, you'll think that you have been rid of him. But then he will ultimately fall on you and crush you when he came not to condemn but to save. Lost person, I want you to listen to me. Jesus has come not to be your life coach, not to be your moral example. He came as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He came as the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He came to save By dying on the cross at Calvary and rising again three days later. That's why he's come, lost person. Will you have him? Will you have this Savior? Well, then you you may have him, but not on your terms. No, first, you must remove the garments of your sin and repentance. And you must also remove the garments of your so-called righteousness that you want to present to God. You have nothing to offer Christ. Your sin defiles you. Your righteousness is like filthy rags to Christ. Remove those garments and throw them down before Him. You must also believe what He says about Himself, not what you say about Him or believe about Him. You must believe what he says about himself. You must believe that he is the son of God, the promised one. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. You must believe that he lived a perfectly righteous life and died a perfectly just death that you might have salvation. And you must confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you do so, you will be saved. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And furthermore, then you must lay all of your hopes and all of your dreams down on the ground before the king. Because he's king. You follow him. Not the other way around. If you wish to follow Jesus, just notice where the triumphal entry leads. It leads to the cross. If you want to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. Lost person, will you have this Savior? Christian, Jesus has come. Will you worship Him? Will you throw down before Him the garments of your life? 
and let him lead you wherever he wants. And you know where he's leading. He's leading to the cross. He's leading you to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow him. Can you imagine? I, I know this is, this is conjecture. But imagine with me for a moment. Okay, Jesus sends the disciples to go get this donkey and the colt. They go, they come back, they put the coats on the animals, and Jesus sits on the colt. And, and they're sitting there scratching their head going, Jesus, okay, this is a big moment. I, I hope you understand this. This is a big moment. And if you sit on this colt, it's never been ridden before. If you sit on this colt, this colt might buck you off. It might be rodeo day instead of triumphal entry day, Jesus. So, so you really need to get on this one because it's been ridden before. It knows how to act. In other words, they're saying, Jesus, don't you want to ride in on something that's more comfortable and manageable? Christian Jesus has come. Are you going to tell Jesus how to be Lord? Are you going to try to manage him? Are you going to try to spare Jesus any embarrassment by telling him how he needs to act in big moments? No, he is Savior and Lord. He is both. If you will not have him as Lord, then perhaps you do not have him as Savior. The question we must ask is, who is this? Jesus came to be the cornerstone. Some will look at him and they will see the cornerstone, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and they will lay down their lives before him and they will be made a part of his building. Others will look at him and they'll say, you know, not much there to look at. Just, a, just an itinerant Galilean carpenter who died. Don't need to think anything about him. And that stone will fall and crush those who believe that. But God has made a way through Christ for people to be saved. Because I want you to know that there is in here both something that, that is instruct. It's two things that are instructional for us. One, people looked at Jesus and got it wrong. Two, Jesus was going to make sure they understood who he was. So that when you understand who he is, then you can say Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Friend, look to Christ. See him coming. Lay your life before him. And roll up. All the thoughts of your heart and mind into worship. For he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we thank you for your son, Christ, who did not fumble at the goal line. Who left no detail undone, no prophecy unfulfilled. Who showed people, I'm not going to do things the way that you want me to. I'm going to follow the will of my father. And he rode in on a colt. To symbolize that he was going to do things in a different way than people expected. 
Lord, there may be people here that have expectations about Jesus. And they think, if, if Jesus is going to be a part of my life, then he's going to ride of the donkey of my choosing. Lord, break their hearts so that they know. They, they must submit to Christ, not make Christ submit to them. Lord, break the hearts of people who are lost, who look at Jesus and say, ah. And Lord, for us that are Christians, Lord, do we try to make Jesus ride on a donkey of our choosing? Lord, if there's any place in our lives where we want to tell Jesus how to be Lord, Lord, would you break us of that, that we might see him for who he really is and worship him more fully. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand? We're going to have a a time of response. Uh, We're going to sing Amazing Grace. Is that right? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Um, If there's any decision you need to make during this time, please feel free to come forward. If you need uh, prayer, glad to pray with you. But uh, just move as the Lord leads you. I don't remember how long ago it was. Well, it, was, it was actually, if I remember right, it was on the day of Olivia's baptism. Garrett walks into my office and he says, I no longer believe in God. I no longer want to be a member of this church. Last week I got a text from Joel. Garrett wants to start coming to church again. Before long, Garrett was sitting in my office. And what I saw when he walked in was the work of Christ. The Lord never loses his own. They may wander for a time, but he never loses them. What he starts in their life, he finishes. Satan had an all-out attack on Garrett and tried to pull him away. But the Lord won. God broke Garrett. And when he sat in my office the other day, it was plain beyond all shadow of a doubt. I asked him, do you believe you still belong to the Lord? Yes. Why else would I be here? (laughs) 
so we, he asked some questions. I want to rejoin the church. I will ask him, do you want to rejoin the church? He said, well, it, maybe in a, in a while. And I said, no, wait a minute. Do you feel like you have to get to a certain level before you can come back to church? Because I don't want you to place on yourself because I'm not going to place any more on you than I would a person who had left your lifestyle and wasn't a Christian and wanted to come and join our church. He said, I didn't think about it that way. He said, do I need to get rebaptized?" I said, did you believe when you were baptized that you understood why you were doing it and that you truly belong to Christ then? Yes. Then you don't have to be rebaptized. So this morning, come on up here, brother. Garrett Ratliff is coming to say he wants to be a member of Cherokee Baptist Church. So can I have a simple motion to receive it? It's been moved by Olivia and seconded by, by Betty that we receive Garrett into our fellowship. If you rejoice in this decision, would you say amen? amen. Well, here in a moment, uh, we're going to sing the doxology. Um, and, and then you come by, and you're probably going to need to be prepared to shake his left hand or give him a hug, okay? Right hand's a little bunged up. That's a story for later. <laughs> but God has been good. Amen, brother? Amen. 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 I got to tell you this. You probably knew this already. When, when Joel texted me, I immediately started crying. I had nobody to cry with. But the Lord has been so good. So um, let's stand. And, and I'm going to try to lead the doxology. You just chime right in. Come on up here, family. Family, y'all can all come on up here. And we'll, we'll sing it together. Y'all come on in here. All right, let, let's, we, we can do this. Here we go. Praise God from whom all blessings. Welcome Garrett back into the